as long as I'm reading my bulletin right. <laughs> and we're going to be going to James 5.12 in a minute. I'm going to open it up with James 5.12. And I don't know why my mic went out, but it was obvious, but it's back now. So we, sometimes we have to do an exorcism on church equipment. And um, we might have some here who have that spiritual gift, discernment. <laughs> so... Anyways, James 5.12 here in just a minute, but as I introduce James, I want to share a few other uh, things. I, a, if you're following the fill-in-the-blanks, um, I don't multitask well. Did I dismiss children to junior church? Okay, like I said, I don't multitask well. Ask my wife. Um, I made changes to the sermon on Thursday, and so Megan had already ran the fill-in-the-blanks. Um, all the blanks are, the, are, are correct, but the page numbers are off. And if you're OCD like me and you like to get them, the first two blanks which are missing in the sermon manuscript and which I'm not going to share except now are lies and lies. <laughs> so fill in those two lies and lies and pay attention and you'll get the rest. Um, which also I want to bring up, the next two Sundays are going to be question and answer Sundays. I'm going to answer your questions which you've submitted. It was going to be just one Sunday, but I got a lot of questions submitted and a lot of deep questions. I've got about 12 questions, and I wanted to be able to answer them both, um, all 12 of them, not them both, all 12, in a sufficient manner. And so we decided to stretch that for two Sundays. And if you want, if you have other questions and they're on your mind, um, theologically, biblically, maybe, maybe how the Bible relates to, and how the Christian life relates to things we're facing right now, get them to me. Um, just to give you a little teaser here, I was asked the question, where did evil come from? That's a good question. And so we're going to talk about that for a couple minutes next Sunday, or it might end up being the Sunday after. Where did evil come from? Do our pets go to heaven? When we go to heaven, are we going to recognize each other in heaven? Are we going to know each other in heaven? We're going to talk about that. Uh, what, what about faith? And how does prayer, does prayer change God's mind? You know, we're going to talk about that. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about being taken up to the third heaven. And I'm going to talk about that. What does that mean, the third heaven? And then there's a new translation from the Bible, of the Bible, called the Passion Translation. And I didn't know anything about it, but I was asked that. And I'm going to talk about that as well. Uh, don't go by it. I don't, in my recent study of it, I don't think much of it. So I'll give you that quick answer now, but we'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. So just to share with you about that. So anyways, having said that, I want to talk about our country as we get into integrity. We're going to be going to James 5.12, so please turn there, and we're going to talk about integrity. And to me, there's something we're lacking now. There's many things we're lacking. We're lacking Jesus across our country and across the world, but we're lacking integrity. We're lacking integrity. I, was, I took a criminal justice class at Cedarville University, and I loved the class. The chief of uh, one of the police departments led the class as an adjunct professor. And he had written a book on law enforcement. And he had said in that book, if there's one character trait, one character trait they needed in police officers, it was integrity. Now, this was a day before all the cameras and everything. And he said, you know, there's no one else there to witness if you are giving somebody a ticket for a rolling stop or a real stop. You know, no one else. They need integrity. We need integrity. I really believe the United States is the greatest country in the world. I really believe that. We're not perfect. We have problems. Every, you know what? 
We are in a fallen world. In a few months, I'm going to start a sermon series on having a biblical worldview. God created everything good. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. In Genesis 3, creation fell. God has redeemed it through Jesus, but we're not restored yet. We're in a fallen world. So nothing's going to be perfect, but in a fallen world, we need government. Someday the government's going to be different. God's going to make everything new, and there's going to be the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to reign as King of kings and, King and Lord of lords in a literal way. Until then, we try to make the best of the best, but we are in a fallen world. In a fallen world, we need police. We need authority. Romans 13 talks about that. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Romans 13, was writing from Rome in house arrest. And they were a totally corrupt political world. And they said, the government has the responsibility of the sword. And we need to obey our leaders. 2 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul came back to it and said, pray for your leaders. Obey the leaders. We live in a fallen world, but I believe the United States is the best of the countries in the world. We are a representative republic. We're not a democracy. We're a representative republic. We have certain democratic ideals. Benjamin Franklin came out of the, Continental Congre um, the Constitutional Convention. He came out of the Constitutional Convention. And they said, Mr. Franklin, what type of government do we have? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. A republic, if you can keep it. And by the way... We are one of, if not the, longest government systems still going on in the world right now. Greece has had several rewrites of their government, of their constitution, in the last 70 or 80 years. So I believe God gave great wisdom when our country was founded. Moving on from there, there was a guy named Paul Harvey. And he wrote something uh, a long time ago called, If I Were the Devil. And I want to read that to you. But let me read an introduction to it. Many years ago, a courageous and devoted American broadcast a message to his listeners. This served as a harbinger, meaning a warning, for where the nation was headed, societally and culturally. In his broadcast, he revealed what he would do if he were the devil, to destroy our culture and undermine our collective societal standards and social mores. That man was Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey Arant affectionately known as Paul Harvey. And his message not only has proven to be prophetic, but serves as a warning to Americans today of where our society continues to trend. Paul Harvey was a broadcaster who rendered daily news on the radio from the 1950s through the 90s and inspired generations of Americans with true stories of goodness and heroism with his daily, The Rest of the Story. I think most of you know of it, right? He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005 for his contributions to the nation. At his peak, his broadcast reached as many as 24 million listeners and readers, as 1,600 radio stations and 300 newspapers carried his program and columns across the nation. One broadcast, which he titled, If I Were the Devil ran originally in 1964, but he updated it several times over the years. And the version I'm going to read comes from 1996, 24 years ago. This is what he says. If I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. 
I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I would not be happy until I'd seized the ripest apple on the tree, thee. So I would set set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first, and I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince the children that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. In the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each, in its turn, was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellect, but neglect to discipline emotions. I'd tell teachers to let those students run wild. And before you knew it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. With a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing and judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse and the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. In his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I'd lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What do you bet I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I'd convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, and that what you see on television is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public and lure you into bed with diseases for which there are no cures. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Today we celebrate Independence Day in worship But I want to talk about something that has also been important to our country. Integrity. Christian values. God's way is best and our way is not. And what I believe we're seeing across our country is a collapsing internally because we've we've neglected God's ways. In a principle, for sure, throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is integrity. Integrity. Something that is for sure missing in our country right now is integrity. Thomas Jefferson wrote this. Thomas Jefferson. Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Further, he wrote this. Whenever you do a thing, act as if all the world were watching. Whenever you do something, act as if the whole world were watching. George Washington, by far, you know, founding president, one of the most Important, if not the most important person in our country's founding. George Washington wrote this. He said, in politics, 
as in philosophy. My tenets are few and simple. The leading one of which, and indeed that which embraces most others, is to be honest in just ourselves and to exact it from others, meddling as little as possible in their affairs where our own are not involved. If this maxim was generally adopted, wars would cease and our swords would soon be converted into repos and our harvest be more peaceful, abundant, and happy. Notice how at first he said, be honest with ourselves and expect honesty from others as well. In a recent biography of Washington, Ron Chernow writes the following. Ron Chernow says, he valued his reputation for integrity, calling it the principal thing which is laudable in my conduct. Integrity, the principal thing which is laudable in my conduct. Integrity, I want to talk about it. Why can't our yes be yes and our no, no? Why can't we be trusted? In the world, you know, we have certain lack, we have lacking, you know, integrity. And so we have all these things to try to uh, make people have integrity, which really don't work. But can Christians be better? Can Christians be habitually honest? Let's read James 5.12. James 5.12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. He's even bringing up, James is even bringing up judgment. Notice that James writes, above all. But above all, my brethren, do not swear. It seems that this is the most important command he has given. What other command has James started with? Above all. None. In the epistle of James, he has not started any other command with above all. He thinks integrity is very important. What James is about to introduce is clearly very important, but this is not new material. James has written about our words all throughout the epistle. In James 1.19, be slow to speak. How many of us could benefit from being slow to speak? I could. <laughs> Messed that up before. James 1.26, he says, Anyone who thinks of himself as religious must keep a tight rein on his tongue. I could benefit if I could, you know, practice that better. I'm working on it. The Holy Spirit's working on me. In James 3, 1 through 12, it's about not using our words to curse people. In James 4, 11 through 12, it says not to slander one another. Not to slander one another. Then in James 4, 13 through 17, he writes about boasting and bragging. Don't boast. Don't brag. So James is not introducing a new theme, but he is building on a theme that he's been on all throughout this little epistle of James. Actually, if you look in your Bible, you will see that there are only eight verses left in the epistle of James. It seems that James is hitting on a few important points as he closes. And so right now, above all, my brethren, he brings up something really important. Look at the rest of the verse. What do you think? You may not care too much about an oath, but look at the end of the verse. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This means we should be trustworthy. How many of you are or have been employers? 
Do you want employees that you can trust? I think we all do. What about parents? How do we respond when our child or children lie directly to our face? Do we say, way to go, son, good job? No. Even if you are a habitual liar, you do not want your children to lie to you, right? Even if we are liars, we do not like it when other people lie to us. Integrity is lacking today, isn't it? Do we even know who we can trust in politics? Do we even know who we can trust in the media? What about the media? You turn on one news station, you get one thing. You turn on another news station, you get another. I get these news alerts on my phone, and one particular uh, national newspaper will say one thing. And immediately, another news will say a total something different about the same event. We need integrity. And Christians ought to model it better than the world, shouldn't we? We must see why this is, we, we see why this is introduced with above all. James wants Christians to be trustworthy. Um, now James gives the command. He says, do not swear. Do not swear. Let your, uh, let your yes be yes and your no, no. He says, don't, don't, don't swear by heaven and don't swear by earth. Don't swear by anything else. Look, and so I want to cross-reference that with Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 through 37. Look at it. Matthew 5, 34 through 37 says, But I say to you, may no, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, Yes or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says something almost the same as what James writes. And before you think that James was plagiarizing, he wasn't. For the epistle of James was written before the Gospel of Matthew. But who knows? James might have heard his half-brother Jesus give this teaching. And beyond that, we have the Holy Spirit, which is inspiring, which did inspire all 66 books of the Bible. Now, when James writes about swearing, he's not talking about a list of vulgar words. Not, not right here, he's not. He's talking about calling on God or an object to support your words. You know, sometimes we do it today. Do you swear for this, 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 you know, to tell the whole truth, you know? An oath or swearing in their time had three parts. Three parts for an oath or swearing. Part one, it was attesting to the truth. Attesting to the truth. Part two was calling for God to witness. And thirdly was invoking God's punishment if you violated your word. Invoking God's punishment if you violated your word. To say I swear to God meant I want you to know I'm telling the truth. I want God to witness I'm telling the truth. And I want God to punish me if I'm not telling the truth. Very serious, right? You're invoking the curse of God on you if you lie in an effort to try to convince somebody that you're really telling the truth. People did this in that time period. One reason that Jesus preached against it was that the Pharisees would swear by the temple. The Pharisees would swear by the temple, thinking they were okay to do that. But Jesus says that God created the temple. No matter what, when you swear, you're swearing to God because God created the temple. There are a number of times in the epistle of Hebrews that it references how God would swear by himself in Genesis. And that is true. 
But God can do that because he is God and there is no one greater. If you're filling in blanks, you want to take note of that. God could swear by himself because he's the greatest of them all. But right now, it seems like what James is condemning is flippant swearing. I don't think he's really condemning Christians who make an oath under court in, in, in a court of law or something like that. He's condemning flippant swearing. He's telling Christians, you need to be honest. Your yes needs to be yes. Your no, no. One of my sources read this. Misuse of, misuse of the name of God. Profaning the name of God. Blaspheming the name of God. Dragging down the name of God. Invoking the name of God illegitimately. You know, I swear to God. I swear to the temple. And if you swear by the temple, you're still swearing by God because he's the greatest. So, invoking the name of God illegitimately. All of that is, in a sense, related to the kind of swearing that James has in mind. But it's a very specific thing that he's after here. That was part of a Jewish uh, culture. May I add to you that it wasn't only Jewish. It also belonged in the Greek culture. Have any of you heard of any? Um, have any of you heard anybody say "by Jove"? Anybody heard that "by Jove"? I see a few hands. "By Jove." Jove was a Greek god, and when the Greeks wanted to swear, they would swear they would swear by Zeus or by Jove. They would use that in this type of method. So James tells us. The motivation not to swear. The motivation is that we are habitually honest. That's the next blank. Habitually honest. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. These days we have contracts and we have business deals, right? We have to sign things at banks. I think the last time I bought a house, I signed like 20,000 pages. You know, we have to sign things because people just aren't honest, are we? People will lie to protect themselves, won't they? And if you talk to a teacher or probably a police officer, they could confirm. Parents will lie to protect their children, won't they? They will. James is saying this should not be true among Christians. A preacher was going to preach on honesty. And he told everyone, next week I'm going to preach on honesty. I want you to go home and read Joshua chapter 25. Joshua chapter 25. So the next Sunday, he came into the sanctuary and he said, How many of you did your homework and read Joshua chapter 25? A number of hands shot up saying that they have read Joshua chapter 25. And then the preacher said, You're the ones I want to talk to. Joshua only has 24 chapters. <laughs> and I'm especially concerned about you tonight. That was meant in humor, but there is a point there. Christians must do better. I was in 12th grade of high school, and my youth pastor was buying a new truck. He had a 69 old Chevy truck, and had a big block engine. It was something like a 69 truck with a 402 big block um, from 72 in it or something. And he was buying this um, new truck bed and new chrome parts and all this stuff. And somehow, and he did it. He was good like that. He was going to put it all together. And I went with him to pick up the parts. We went out to this little country area, and we talked to a gentleman, and we were, he was selling him the truck stuff. And the guy pulled out the title. Back then, you could just sign the title over. You didn't, need a, you didn't need to be in front of the bank or anything. And he pulled it out, and he said, how much, how much do you want me to put down that you're paying for this, for this truck? Now, the, my youth pastor, Dave, had already given him the money, and it was... Whatever it was, 5000 2000 I don't know. But he was willing to put down as much as a dollar because whatever he put down, he would have to pay taxes on. 
when he went and got, it, got his own title. And my youth pastor taught me an important lesson that day. He said, put down what I'm paying you. It's the right thing to do. Integrity. You know, when just a few people are looking and you're not in front of the legal authorities, he had integrity for it was the right thing to do. And that was an amazing example to me. You know, I was in 12th grade of high school. I was certainly uh, being mentored and taught by my youth pastor. And he taught me a very important lesson about integrity. I want, I want to ask you to reflect on your own honesty right now. How's that working for you? Have you told any white lies lately? Maybe you've fudged some numbers in order to get something cheaper. Been flipping about things. Maybe you've tried to use a coupon twice. Maybe you have messed with the numbers on your own taxes. Maybe you've been pulled over for speeding. What did you tell the police when he said, do you know how fast you were going? Maybe you didn't do something correct at work and when confronted, you stretched the truth. And let me say, students, there's a few of you there. This is important for you just like anyone else. We all need to have integrity. We all need to be Christians who follow the truth. And it needs to start young. Even pastors must fight the temptation. Sometimes it's a temptation to exaggerate numbers. I was listening to Chip Ingram on Moody Radio a long time ago. I really liked listening to Chip Ingram. Great writer, great preacher. And he planted a church in the 1970s. And the church was growing. And in the following Sunday, he commented on the midweek Bible study. And he said to the Sunday morning group, We had a great Bible study last week. We had X amount of participants at the Bible study. And his wife confronted him on the way home and she said, why'd you do that? You knew how many people were at Bible study. Why didn't you just say the number, not about? You see, it sounded better to Chip to say 65 to 70 than 64 people were present. So he said, we had about this amount. He, didn't, he, he could have just said the, the right amount, integrity. It's not my goal to make you feel bad, nor is it my goal to make you feel extra special. If this goes either way, it's the convicting power of Scripture and the Holy Spirit's work. It should make you feel good to confess sin and repent and try to do better to God. So it's not my goal to make you feel bad. There was a young Christian man in a southern university. He made the football team as a starting split end. And he continually was before God saying, Help me in the climax of moments to be absolutely honest. He prayed to God and he said, I pray for honesty. I pray for honesty, that one mark of integrity. I want to be that, Lord, and I'll work on it through the season. The rival team came that night. It was homecoming, homecoming night. He ran his route and went into the end zone. The quarterback shot him a pass and he got it low. He landed on it and the referee shouted, touchdown, touchdown. But that boy knew he had trapped that ball. For those of you who do not like football, that means he landed on it. And so it looked like he caught the pass, but he didn't really catch it. The stands are going wild. The team has won the game or would win the game. And can you imagine this? This young man was praying for integrity. He went up to the referee and he said to the referee, he shook his head. He said, I trapped it. I trapped it. The referee canceled the touchdown and they lost the game. Now, you may not understand much about football, but you know what it is to be a fan. 
And that boy stood all alone, not only against a team that said, What does it matter, man? But against the stands full of people. But he said, I can't take the credit. I did not catch the pass. He had integrity when it really mattered. And it would have been easy for him to take the credit and go on. Lastly, right here, James gives the consequence. The consequence for a lack of integrity, the consequence for not telling the truth, is condemnation. The consequence is judgment. What does this mean? What it means is James is consistent. He's, he's, he's consistent with the pattern of the whole epistle. The whole epistle calls us to look into our hearts and see if we have a living faith. Look into our hearts and see if we have a living faith. If you are living the faith, you will not be habitually lying. You hear that? If you have a living faith, you will not be habitually lying. You will be habitually honest. You'll make mistakes. We all do. You'll be caught with your hand in the cookie jar and maybe tell a white lie when you're first caught and then you realize it. You repent. You repent. You will not, if you have a living faith, you will not settle for lies. Not even little bitty white lies. Not even a stretch of the truth. When I was a kid, we would go to amusement parks and I was always a little shorter than other kids my age. So my mom always tried to get me in cheaper by saying my age was eight, not 10, or whatever it was. That's a stretching the truth. It's not right. My mom would probably acknowledge that. Maybe she won't listen to this sermon. Anyways, um, we need integrity in our world today, don't we? I, I don't know if our founding fathers had more integrity than our leaders do today. I suspect that they did. I suspect that they did at least a little bit more. You know, I read books, long books, about founding fathers and others, and they had problems just like we do today. But they did understand the authority of Judeo-Christian values. What happens to a culture? What happens to a country? What happens to a world? What happens to a civilization that has lost all moral authority? It doesn't look good. Our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. And when we celebrate our Independence Day, hopefully we also celebrate the values we were founded upon. Hopefully, maybe that's even the most important thing that we celebrate, the values that we were founded upon. It's funny, you know, there's a great book by David McAuliffe about John Adams. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. And one thing that he put in that book a lot were the letters between him and his beloved Abigail Adams. And he wrote to her, July 2nd, July 2nd will go down in history as a day that America celebrate their independence. Of course, it started in July 2nd, and then we celebrate July 4th, but the signers didn't all sign it until August, if not much later, even like November. They were all scurrying about, trying not to get rescued from the British, freeing New York City when it got captured, and just so much more. Do you realize if the British caught John Adams or George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or any others, they would have been tortured and killed. Some were captured. Some suffered losses. There's a popular writing about what happened to all of um, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And I was actually looking it up. Um, Steve mentioned it to me. And I was looking it up. And I was going to read it. But there's questions about its authenticity. And I was going to read it and then say, but there are questions. And I thought, 
I just won't read it. So if you hear it, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But what we do know for sure is those signers of the Declaration of Independence were taking great risks. They were taking great risks going up against Great Britain to found this country. And integrity, we see in James 5.12, is above all something he considered the most important thing to write about. I don't want to close this sermon without giving you an opportunity to confess what you need to confess. So I'm going to ask that we bow our heads, close our eyes, and go in a state of prayer. I'm going to open in prayer, and then I'm going to give you a moment of silence. And you can just pray that you'll do better or confess. If you have nothing to repent of, just pray that you continue the great Christian witness. But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, we celebrate our Independence Day, but we also ought to always be worshiping you, celebrating our independence from sin. Christians do not have to walk in sin. We're called to be followers of you, to walk in your grace and in your love, to walk by the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh, as Galatians 5 says. Lord God, I thank you for the forgiveness you offer us. Please hear our prayer. Lord God, I know that we are in a busy world. And there's very seldom times where we actually observe silence, the discipline of silence. So much so that 20 seconds, 30 seconds can seem like an eternity. Lord God, as we are silent before you, we know, Lord, that you are faithful and you hear our prayers and you forgive us. As 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, forgive us. And we thank you. Lord God, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. Lord God, do not let them leave without turning their life over to you. And telling you that in a simple prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I'm committing my life to you. Come into my life and help me to live for you. Lord Jesus, help us all living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to turn it over to Steve and Joyce now. Amen.